Well, hello and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm Nurse Mo, and I'm really excited that you are going to be studying with me today. We're going to be talking about POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It's quite a mouthful. That's why I usually just call it POTS or POTS. Now, before we dive into the episode, you know, I love to do a listener shout out, and this one goes out to Andrea. So Andrea, you emailed me recently really hurt by an email that's automatically sent out by my system. And before Andrea emailed me, I had set up this automation so that when a quiz is completed inside one of my programs, it sends this automation so that you can see your quiz results. Unfortunately, the message basically says you passed or you failed. And I have been on with tech support. I have tried. There's all this coding involved, even to change anything about the email. But I cannot change, even with coding, that message that says you failed this quiz. And then it goes on to say, here's your quiz answers if you'd like to review them. So at the time when I realized I couldn't change this messaging, I thought, shucks, this is not the best messaging. I don't love it. It doesn't align with my philosophy. But I also felt like it was really important that people have access to their quiz results so they could learn from the, from the questions that they missed. So I left it, even though it did feel a bit icky to me. So what I did to combat that was I set up another automation that would send an email that was actually from me, that was very heartfelt, that was very, I believe in you. I know this is hard. You're doing it. You're amazing. Because you know me, if you've been listening to this podcast for more than, you know, five or 10 minutes, you know that that is me. But this message from Andrea and why I wanted my listener shout out to go to Andrea was she reminded me that no matter how many times I cheer you on and tell you I believe in you, if if you get one message, even an automated message that makes you feel bad, then none of those other things count. So I thought about it and I realized, okay, what's more important is that this person knows that they are absolutely crushing nursing school. They're crushing their preparation for nursing school. And of course, you're not a failure. Nobody's a failure because you miss a question. And so I removed that feature. So it was either on or off, right? I could turn it off and you don't get an email with your quiz results, or I could turn it on and it says, hey, you failed, but here's your quiz results. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Andrea for reminding me that It's more important to be supportive, which is truly who I am, and to be true to myself and how I support all of you. So thank you for that, Andrea. And if you're taking my boot camp courses and you've gotten that email and it made you feel icky, I'm so sorry. I feel absolutely crushed and devastated about that. It should not happen again. I turned it off again. I'm just a human. Sometimes there are tech glitches. And if you still get that email, super sorry reach out to me so I can go and double check. I checked it like 10 times today to make sure it was off. But again, I'm just a human and I do make mistakes. So thank you, Andrea, for that. And now let's dive in to POTS. Okay, so postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, also known as POTS or POTS, is a disorder of the autonomic nervous system, and it involves orthostatic intolerance 
with significant tachycardia. So the individual with POTS will have a rapid heart rate and get dizzy or feel lightheaded when sitting upright or standing up from a reclining position. So you all know how orthostatic hypotension works, right? You learn about that really early on in nursing school. This is similar, but it causes severe tachycardia. So the individual with POTS does not necessarily have a decrease in blood pressure. So that's what makes it distinctly different from orthostatic hypotension. So the individual with POTS, when they maybe they're sitting and they stand up or they're lying down and they sit up or lying down and stand up, will have a very rapid increase in their heart rate. So let's talk a little bit about the normal orthostatic response. So in a healthy nervous system, The body works to maintain that adequate blood flow, whether you're lying down, whether you're sitting, standing, whatever. Recall that blood pressure and blood flow are affected greatly by both heart rate and vasoconstriction and vasodilation. So when blood pressure decreases, the normal response is for the heart rate to increase and those blood vessels to constrict. In POTS, the nervous system is unable to coordinate this response. So a normal orthostatic response requires several different components to be optimal, namely the autonomic function that compensates for the blood that is forced downward in the body upon standing. Now, on average, approximately 500 to 800 mils of blood moves down into the abdomen and the lower extremities when you stand up, and that is enough to cause that orthostatic hypotension. You stand up, and you've probably done this. You stand up too fast, and suddenly you're lightheaded. Maybe even your vision dims a little bit. That is basically what happens with orthostatic hypotension. And some people will fall with that. And that's one of the reasons why you learn about it so early in nursing school is because it's a safety risk, right? If your patient has orthostatic hypotension, you want to make sure that they're getting up slowly so that they don't jump out of bed, get dizzy, get lightheaded, and then go down. Now, normally, the baroreceptors of the autonomic nervous system compensate for this disrupted blood distribution and signal for an increase in cardiac sympathetic activity. And what this does is it increases heart rate and it causes vasoconstriction. Additionally, the skeletal muscles of the lower extremities and even muscles of the abdomen as well act as pumps to promote venous return. So taken all together, these actions increase blood flow to the brain and other vital organs. But in POTS, the blood vessels do not respond normally to these hormonal messages and they do not constrict adequately. The autonomic nervous system senses that blood pressure remains low or lower than it is anticipated to be and continues to release epinephrine and norepinephrine in an attempt to cause vasoconstriction. So the result is tachycardia. Now, that tachycardia is going to compensate for that drop in blood pressure, which is pretty much why the individual with POTS doesn't have a significant drop in blood pressure, but that tachycardia is intense. 
Now, although POTS is an autonomic nervous system disorder, new evidence shows that it may also be a disorder of the central nervous system and could explain why some individuals suffer from central nervous system symptoms. And these can include fatigue, headache, even migraine headaches, cognitive dysfunction, and difficulty sleeping. Additionally, there are even reports of patients developing POTS after brainstem compression, and this POTS resolves after the pressure is relieved, after the patient goes to surgery. There's definitely a lot to keep an eye on with this interesting and complex disorder. So let's talk a bit about what leads to POTS. This is another one of those conditions where the cause is not fully understood, but there are several different mechanisms that can lead to an individual experiencing POTS. These include hypovolemia. So with decreased blood volume, there is decreased venous return of blood to the heart. Makes sense, right? This can lead to tachycardia and orthostatic intolerance. Deconditioning is another factor. Cardiac deconditioning, namely in that left ventricle, can lead to reduced stroke volume, which can lead to POTS. Even healthy patients placed on bed rest for a period of just two weeks can decondition to the point where they experience orthostatic intolerance. Interestingly, this can also happen to astronauts who spend a lot of time in low gravity. There's also a hyperadrenergic component. In some individuals, the sympathetic nervous system is just overactive. This may be due to a genetic mutation that affects the production and transport of norepinephrine. It can also be due to some medications such as tricyclic antidepressants, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, and sympathomimetics. There's also neuroendocrine dysfunction to take into account. POTS can also be related to neuroendocrine dysfunction involving increased cardiac adrenergic activity and increased catecholamine levels. Additionally, lower levels of renin and aldosterone may be present with higher levels of angiotensin II. Now, to understand why this is significant, let's do a quick review of the RAS pathway. So as a reminder, RAS is renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system. So let's talk through it. In a healthy individual who has low blood volume, renin stimulates the production of angiotensin 1. And this is converted by angiotensin converting enzyme also known as ACE, into angiotensin II. So I'll say that again. In a healthy individual with low blood volume, renin stimulates the production of angiotensin I, which is converted to angiotensin II by angiotensin-converting enzyme, also known as ACE. And that stands for A-C-E. Now, angiotensin II stimulates the production of aldosterone, which increases sodium reabsorption by the kidneys. Remember, water is going to follow that salt. So when we hold on to sodium, we hold on to water. In addition, 
angiotensin II itself is a vasoconstrictor, and whenever we constrict vessels, we increase blood pressure. So in a normal response, the RAS system is essentially going to cause the body to hold on to sodium and water to increase volume and cause the blood vessels to constrict, thereby increasing blood pressure. So individuals with POTS often have low plasma levels of renin and aldosterone, which limits the ability of the RAS pathway to do its work and maintain adequate blood volume. Okay, let's talk about another factor, peripheral neuropathy. When an individual has sympathetic denervation in their lower extremities, as can occur with peripheral neuropathy, this can lead to venous pooling because the blood vessels aren't able to constrict enough to promote that adequate venous return. This leads to a delayed cardiac adrenergic response when standing upright. And then there's autoimmune disorders. There is growing evidence that POTS may be related to autoimmune dysfunction. Research is ongoing in this area, but individuals with POTS may have anti-nuclear antibodies as well as higher levels of adrenergic muscarinic acetylcholine and ganglionic antibodies. And then one more interesting one that's come up lately is COVID. Studies are showing that some individuals with long-haul COVID may actually have POTS. So this is definitely something to keep an eye on as we learn more. So who is most at risk for POTS? So individuals who are most at risk are going to be between 15 and 50 years of age, with females having five times higher incidence than males. Additionally, it is more likely to be present in individuals with a history of mononucleosis or autoimmune disease such as lupus, Sjogren's, or celiac disease. So now let's talk a bit about the complications of POTS. So left untreated, it can lead to further deconditioning and eventually a worsening of symptoms. The individual may also be at increased risk for blood clots, infection, and fall injuries. So now that you have a bit of a general understanding of POTS, we're going to go through it together using the straight A nursing latte method. And if you stick around with me to the end, we'll do a little bit of pod quizzing and I'll tell you a way to get a study guide that accompanies this episode. Ready to get started? Let's dive in. So the first letter in the latte method is L and that stands for look. Basically, what are the signs and symptoms? How is your patient going to present? So in general, the patient will have signs and symptoms related to orthostatic intolerance that is caused by sitting or standing up from a reclining position. Note these symptoms are relieved by sitting down from a standing position or lying down if the symptoms occurred when they sat upright from a lying down position, basically just going back down. These include symptoms such as lightheadedness, blurry or fading vision, and palpitations that can occur with chest pain. Some additional signs and symptoms can include difficulty concentrating, difficulty with memory, 
decreased executive function, and decreased cognitive processing speed. The individual may have body temperature dysregulation, exercise intolerance, and sleep disturbances. Now, note that symptoms are typically worse when standing still versus walking. And why do you think that is? Now, recall that walking helps activate that muscle pumping action that promotes venous return. So if you were thinking venous return, you get a gold star. Symptoms are also going to be worse if a position change occurs after lying down for a long period of time, such as when getting up out of bed in the morning. Hot weather, dehydration, illness, stress, and menstruation can all cause symptoms to worsen. Now, some patients may report vague or nonspecific symptoms that are unrelated to orthostatic intolerance or change in position. These can include anxiety, acrocyanosis, gastric upset, dry mouth, tingling in the extremities, flushing, cold feet, and urinary frequency. We have a lot to learn about this condition, so definitely keep an eye on it if this is something that interests you. The next letter in the latte method is A. How do you assess the individual with POTS? So the key assessment for a patient with POTS is to get those vital signs, assess blood pressure and heart rate in all positions, lying down, sitting, and standing. In patients with POTS, the heart rate will increase significantly without a substantial overall hypotension. You also want to ask the patient, do you take any medications that may lower your blood pressure or cause orthostatic hypotension? Because this could increase their risk or their chances of having orthostatic intolerance. You also want to talk with the patient to determine how severe their symptoms are. And a very important component of this is assessing their risk for falls. You're always thinking about patient safety. You also want to discuss with them any potential precipitating factors such as infection, trauma, stress, or inadequate fluid and sodium intake. Okay, now let's look at the tests. What tests are likely to be ordered to diagnose or treat a patient with POTS? So diagnosis of POTS is partially based on the patient's history of symptoms and may also include measuring their vital signs, conducting something called an active stand test, autonomic testing, and testing to exclude other disorders. So the active stand test is conducted by measuring heart rate and blood pressure at baseline. The patient is then tasked with standing still for a period of time. And then heart rate and blood pressure are measured at minute one and possibly again at minutes three, five, and 10 if the initial measurements are inconclusive. A positive result for POTS is present if signs of orthostatic intolerance are noted along with an increase in heart rate by at least 30 beats per minute. This is tweaked slightly for individuals under 20 years of age to be 40 beats per minute. So again, you ask the patient to stand still, and then you measure heart rate and blood pressure at minute one. 
If there is signs of orthostatic intolerance, like the patient's dizzy, they're lightheaded, their vision's gotten wonky, whatever those are, so we have a positive indicator of orthostatic intolerance along with the heart rate going up by at least 30 beats per minute, that is indicative of POTS. And again, if they're under 20 years of age, that heart rate would increase by 40 beats per minute or more. Autonomic testing assesses the degree of symptoms and can be conducted as a tilt table test, which is the gold standard for diagnosing POTS, or through a quantitative pseudomotor autonomic reflex test, which goes by the initials QSART. So we'll talk about each of those. The tilt table test involves the individual lying on this special kind of table that they're strapped in, they're totally safe, but it tilts into various positions to mimic postural changes. The benefit of this is that they're not going to fall, right? If you if someone's got really bad POTS and you stand them upright, there's a risk that their heart rate's going to go up, they're going to have severe symptoms, and they're going to fall. This eliminates that. So we have them on this table that tips them around into various positions to mimic postural changes, and symptoms are correlated with the individual's change in heart rate. And then we have that quantitative pseudomotor autonomic reflex testing. There's another mouthful for you, which goes by, again, the initials QSART. And this measures the response of nerve fibers that innervate sweat glands and is used to diagnose autonomic nervous system disorders, including POTS. In this test, a mild electrical stimulus is applied to the skin Acetylcholine then stimulates the sweat glands, and the test measures the amount of sweat that is produced. Testing may also be done to rule out other disorders. This may include an ECG and or an echocardiogram, which both are going to take a closer look at cardiac function. Blood tests may include a basic metabolic panel, a complete blood count, thyroid function tests, and cortisol levels. Now let's talk about how we treat this condition. That is the next letter in the latte method, another T. How is POTS treated? In general, treatments are focused on managing the individual's symptoms. Additionally, treatment also addresses lifestyle modifications such as exercise and managing stress. Patients may be advised to wear compression garments, including abdominal binders and compression stockings. And why do you think that is? To assist with venous return. Very good. Other lifestyle therapies include physical therapy, cardiac rehab, and consultation with a dietitian. These patients need to have a diet that is adequate in fluid and sodium. Intravascular volume expansion can also be helpful to relieve symptoms of POTS. This includes drinking 3 liters of water per day and taking up to 8 to 12 grams of sodium per day. Now that is going to be tailored to the individual who can tolerate that amount of fluid and that amount of salt. Patients who are unable to take in fluids orally may get IV boluses of sodium chloride. Now, what about medications? Medications are generally considered when lifestyle modifications and intravascular volume expansion are ineffective. 
Medications are not going to cure the condition, but instead are utilized to stabilize the patient's symptoms. So one of those is beta blockers. Though beta blockers can worsen the fatigue that comes with POTS, they can reduce orthostatic tachycardia. Vasopressors cause blood vessels to constrict. Midadrine is a medication that reduces blood pooling and constricts vessels. This medication may cause urinary retention and hypertension when the patient is in the supine position. Fludrocortisone is a corticosteroid that helps expand intravascular volume by temporarily increasing sodium reabsorption in the kidneys. Patients taking fludrocortisone will be monitored for hypokalemia, hypertension, and headaches. Another medication is droxydopa. This is a synthetic precursor that is converted into norepinephrine, and this causes peripheral vasoconstriction. And then there's clonidine. This centrally acting adrenergic medication stimulates alpha adrenergic receptors to decrease sympathetic activity. All right, so how do we educate the individual with POTS? There's a lot of potential education for this patient. So some general topics to include are teach the patient how to monitor their heart rate and blood pressure at home and to take these measurements at the same time each day. You also want to teach the patient to make those transitions slowly from lying to sitting, from lying to standing, and even from sitting to standing. They need to allow time for the body to adjust, especially prior to walking. Though the walking will help their symptoms, you don't want someone to just stand up and take off because high risk for falling. Teach the patient strategies to minimize fall risk, such as adding grab bars next to the toilet and moving slowly again, always moving slowly when changing position. Encourage patients to be upright as much as possible and to avoid long periods in bed. Teach patients to avoid prolonged exposure to heat as this can exacerbate symptoms. Teach your patient they may need to take baths or sit on a bench in the shower since warm water causes vasodilation, which worsens symptoms. We don't want them falling in the shower. Teach the patient that therapy may be useful for managing anxiety that is associated with POTS. You can also teach the patient that a consistent bedtime and wake-up time can be beneficial. You also want to teach them that correcting POTS can take a lot of time. On average, it takes about two years to correct the condition, and in some patients, it may take 10 years or more. Patients with any autonomic dysfunction are likely to experience hypotension with anesthesia, so teach your patient to always share their POTS diagnosis with any surgeons and anesthesia providers. And then when it comes to dietary teaching, we want to teach these patients to avoid caffeine and alcohol. Even though we consider alcohol to be a depressant, alcohol is going to aggravate POTS by diverting blood flow toward the skin and promoting diuresis. And again, that loss of volume is going to exacerbate symptoms. And of course, caffeine is always going to increase sympathetic activity. 
Encourage your patients to eat meals with fiber and complex carbohydrates, as this can help prevent spikes in blood sugar and lessen POTS symptoms. You also want to teach patients to increase sodium intake with healthier options such as broths, olives, and nuts versus the things I'd probably reach for, which are chips and french fries. And then teaching your patient about activity. Encourage the patient to regularly tense the muscles of the lower body and to shift their weight to promote venous return. Advise your patients to partake in regular exercise, especially aerobic exercise and lower body resistance training. Some great ideas are recumbent bikes, rowing, and swimming, as this is helpful for people who are unable to sustain an upright position for long. So there you have it. That is your guide to postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. As promised, let's do a few pod quiz questions, and then I'll share with you how you can get a study guide to go with this lesson. So if this is your first time with the pod quiz, welcome. How it works is I'm going to ask a question, pause for a little bit, and give you time to answer. This is a fantastic way to review concepts, review for exams without being stuck at your desk and staring at a dang screen, right? Okay, so here we go. How much blood volume moves down into the abdomen and lower extremities when you stand up? 500 to 800 mils. Let's talk through that RAS pathway. So in an individual, who has low blood volume, renin stimulates the production of what? Angiotensin 1. Very good. And then what happens to angiotensin 1 next? It's converted into angiotensin 2 by what enzyme? angiotensin converting enzyme, which also goes by ACE. So what does angiotensin 2 do? It's going to stimulate the production of what? Aldosterone, very good. And aldosterone increases what kind of absorption in the kidneys? Sodium. So it's going to increase sodium reabsorption by the kidneys. And what is going to happen to water? Are we going to lose water or hold on to water? We're going to hold on to water. And then angiotensin II also has another important role. And what is that? What does it do to the vessels? It's a vasoconstrictor. So very good. So taken all together, we're going to have this increase of sodium and water and vasoconstriction. And what will this do to blood pressure? Increase it, decrease it, or leave it the same? It should increase blood pressure. Excellent. Who is most at risk for POTS? This will be individuals between 15 and 50 years of age 
with females having five times higher incidence than males. It's also more likely in individuals with a history of what conditions. So one of those, I will give you a hint, seems like it's a common condition that occurs in college-age kids. Mononucleosis. It's also more likely to occur in individuals with autoimmune disease, and I mentioned three. Can you remember them or maybe name at least one? So those were lupus, Sjogren's, and celiac disease. Excellent. What is the most important vital sign that you're measuring in somebody with POTS? Their heart rate, very good. And what do you expect to happen to the blood pressure? It's probably not going to be decreased. If it is, it's very mild. It's not decreased the way it is in orthostatic hypotension. Why would someone with POTS be prescribed a beta blocker? What is that going to do for them? It's going to reduce that orthostatic tachycardia. What about the medication midadrine? What is that going to do? It reduces, well, I don't want to say too much. I want you to try to remember it. So midadrine does what for the patient? It reduces blood pooling. And what does it do to the vessels? It constricts them. Now, this medication can cause a couple of different adverse effects. One of those has to do with the urinary system. Do you remember what that was? Urinary retention. Awesome. And then what about when the patient is lying supine? What can happen? And if you can't remember, I'll give you a hint. It has to do with their blood pressure. It can cause hypertension when supine. Very, very good. And then one more about the pharmacology. What is droxydopa going to do? What kind of medication is that? That is a synthetic precursor that is converted into norepinephrine, and that's going to cause vaso constriction. Very, very good. And if you could only teach your patient with POTS one thing, what would you teach them? I would probably teach them to do those transitions slowly. Slow transition from lying to sitting, from lying to standing, and from sitting to standing. They need to give their body time to adjust, especially before they start walking. And there you have it. That is your review for POTS. I hope you found it as helpful and as interesting as I did. So I will see you next week. We are going to be diving into AVMs, arteriovenous malformations. I have a couple of bonus episodes coming up, so make sure you keep an eye out for those as well. I'm interviewing some really awesome nurses who have some cool things to share with you. See you again soon. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.